I just finished recording the opening for the show, and it was perfect. But was it perfect? It didn't flow exactly the way I wanted it to. So I'm just going to blow through it right now. Top of my head. Ready? Welcome, bold people, to episode 232 of the Juicebox podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Omnipod, Dexcom, and Dancing for Diabetes. You can go to myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox, dancing the number four diabetes.com, dexcom.com forward slash juicebox, or if you want to see them all in one place, juiceboxpodcast.com. That was good. I did it. On today's episode of the podcast, we're going to be speaking with Amy. Now, Amy is the mother of a preteen named Miles who has type 1 diabetes, but she's also the community manager for Omnipod. Amy reached out and she wanted to interview me for the Omnipod blog, and I, being incredibly lazy and um, not having the time to write out my answer, said, why don't you just come on the podcast instead? So I tricked her because I could have written out the answers. I just, I really didn't want to. Anyway... Amy and I had a really wonderful conversation, and we covered so much about her son Miles and type 1 diabetes that I've named this episode A Journey of a Thousand Miles. While you're listening to Amy and I, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise, and to always consult your physician before making any changes to your medical plan or becoming bold with insulin. My name is Amy Drauschka, and I'm a T1D mom of an 11-year-old boy. His name is Miles, and I live in New Hampshire. I also work in diabetes. I'm the Consumer Content and Community Manager at Insulet Corporation. Amy, I know you because you work at Insulet. Is that correct? Uh, Yeah, that's how we got connected. Exactly. And so tell me what you do there. So I work on the marketing team, but I'm the Content and Community Manager, which means that I deal with a lot of um, digital content, which is we have a blog, uh, we have social media channels. Um, I get involved in some website, any type of communication that's online. My primary role is to be that connection to the diabetes community and to the Potter community, which we call our Omnipod customers Potters. It's sort of a dual role of community manager and writer slash editor of, of online content. I understand. That's excellent. And you guys have been branching out in that space a lot in the last year and a half, I would say. Like you have an Instagram now that you just didn't have before that's doing well. And you guys put Instagrams up for like different parts of the country, like, excuse me, different parts of the planet, like different countries and everything. And so you guys are kind of, you're you're moving in that direction more so. How long have you been at Insulet? I've been at Insulet for two years. Um, I started out it primarily focused on the blog. Uh, Potter Talk is our blog, which I'm hoping um, everybody will check out and that I'm going to share our interview on there. But the blog is, it was just basically supposed to be stories about people with diabetes, not always necessary, pe- not necessarily people who use Omnipod, but just inspiring stories as well as helpful information about living with diabetes. And I, so I started out as that being my primary focus and I was really part-time, but then about six months later, it evolved into a bigger role with the social media channels. And I also attend conferences and get involved in some of the local, um, you know, JDRF events and ADA and um, things like that. So I'm sort of a, a, a connection to the patient community, both in person and online. 
The first time I ever uh, took money from Omnipod was to write on their blog. <laughs> it, it actually was. It actually now I take it for the podcast, but uh, it was really valuable because they gave me a lot of freedom when I was doing it. Oh, that's and good. So yeah, so when I first started cobbling together the thoughts that we now discuss on the podcast, one of the big ones everyone knows is just the idea of not being afraid of insulin, not being afraid in general, and. Um, I re-signed my contract, which sounds so fancy, <laughs> trust me, it was, was not a lot of money. And uh, I re-signed my contract with Omnipod one year, and, I, and they were like, well, what do you want to write about this year? I said, I'm going to write a six-part series about fear. And there was dead silence on the other <laughs> end of the phone. They were like, they're like, wait, what are you going to do? And I was like, trust me, it's going to be fantastic. And I said, and, uh, it's, yeah, and it's not just content for you. I'm going to run it on my blog, too. And they're like, wait, we're going to pay you to write for our blog, but you're going to use it on your blog? I was like, yes, those are the uh, terms of my, uh, of my new contract. And they were re really cool about it and did it. And it just helped me It helped me formulate a lot of the thoughts that I share now. So, oh, that's awesome. Now, when was that? Do you remember? remember? Years ago. I don't know. It, I mean, honestly, had to have been four or five years ago. It was a long time ago. Yeah, because there's been a lot of change and a lot of, you know, different focuses. And, you know, I'm constantly trying to get my head around what we want to put on there. So that's really interesting. I'm going to yeah. have to see if I can go check it check it out, find out the history. Amy, Amy's like, that's interesting. If you tried that nowadays, we wouldn't let you do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, anyway, um, so you, you have an interesting, you know, we're, you're, you're on the show today for a couple of reasons. You're on the show because you're the mother of a child with type one. You said Miles is 11. How old was he when he was diagnosed? He was six. First grade. That was five years ago. Yeah. So five and a half years ago, it was the fall of 2013. When he was in first grade. Yeah. Okay. So you have that, you've got that part of your life, um, and you work for Omnipod. So you're going to actually, during this conversation, kind of slip in a couple of questions for me. I'm going to expouse, uh, which now I just, half the people just tuned up like, oh, Scott's going to talk a lot in this. <laughs> and, and I'm, but I'm, but you're going to interview me a little bit here and there as we go. And, um, maybe put that up. I guess it's going up for father's day on your blog. Is that right? Yeah. So I'm, I really have always wanted to, um, it's funny, a year ago, I think I had you down as somebody I wanted to interview and put on the blog. And for some reason, it, time got away from me and it didn't happen in time. But I, I'm really hoping to share your story and how, you know, being a diabetes dad has morphed into this amazing role that you have in the community. And um, obviously, we have a partnership with Omnipod and that you're an Omnipod customer. So that's, the, you know, I think it's a perfect story to tell. And um, I'd love to be able to take this interview and share it on our social channels as well as the blog. That's right. I'm not just a spokesperson. I use <laughs> And I'm the same. I, you know, I'm in that same boat. So I was, my son used Omnipod before I ever went to work for Insulate. So it's a great, um, I feel like it's something really cool that you and I have in common. That's excellent. So, and you have a third thing that, um, that we're going to kind of dive into today, which is interesting, is that you and I spoke privately, I'm going to say a month or so ago, and I did I did one of those like information dumps about my diabetes management ideas into your brain, which I know is overloading, and we probably did it for like 45 minutes or an hour on the phone, so we're going to get to find out how that's all struck you and how it's has or has not helped you in your life. Yeah, let's, great. Let's, let's start with a little simplicity, right? Um Miles is diagnosed in in kindergarten. How did he present? Um, so it was actually first grade. It was the very beginning of the school year. So um, he in my in our town where where he lives, um, we don't have full day kindergarten. So the first time you go to school for the whole day is first grade, and so this was 
um, September, October time. He had just started school going all day. And, you know, he was showing signs of fatigue. He was um, wetting the bed all of a sudden. That was the biggest sign. Um, And he had never, you know, I have two other kids who were in pull-ups for years. He was my one kid who never had trouble with nighttime um, bedwetting or or needed pull-ups or anything. He just immediately was toilet trained when he was little and that was it. So when that was happening, all of a sudden, I was like, that's weird. All of a sudden, at six years old, he's, he's wetting the bed. Um, but I had, of course, you know, I feel like a lot of parents, you chalk it up to something else. You find another reason why it's not a big deal. And so in my head, I was like, well, he's just started first grade. He's going to school all day. He's exhausted. And his body is just not waking him up. Um, so that's how I talked myself out of being worried about it. How long were you able to talk yourself out of it? I feel like it was probably maybe two or three weeks. Um, it didn't go on too long. Thank goodness. We did catch it early, but it was really more of a convenience thing. I had, he had a well, well child checkup, um, normally scheduled annual checkup with his doctor. And, you know, um, they always say, you know, do you have any questions? And, uh, at the time his dad was the one who took him to the appointment and, I said, do you think you could just ask him about the bedwetting and see what he thinks? Or, wh- or where we could get a reasonably priced mattress. One right. Because <laughs> exactly. we're, we're going to need like six of them. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but at the end of the appointment, I said, how did it go? And his dad said, oh, it's fine. Everything was fine. And I said, did you, did you ask him about the bedwetting? And he said, you know what? I didn't want to embarrass him. So I didn't. And I was like, oh. <laughs> so that was a well, Friday. Well, good luck, because now I'm going to embarrass you. Can we step in this room privately, please? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I don't know why that was just in, that was his decision, but on just coincidentally on Monday, that was a Friday, and on Monday I had my own appointment, and we go to a family practice. So I was you know back in the same doctor's office for my own appointment. And I just kind of mentioned it to my nurse. I said, you know, my, my son was here Friday and we didn't, we had one more question that we didn't get answered. Can I just leave a note for, for Dr. Yarian and see what he thinks. And so I wrote my note, I had my appointment and she came back in the room after my appointment and said, Amy, you should check out dancingfordiabetes.com. It's dancing the number four diabetes.com. Oh, and they have really great social media on Facebook and Instagram. That's really what she said. I swear. And she came back in the room after my appointment and said, he read your note about the bedwetting. He has a couple of more questions. And it was questions around, you know, is he excessively thirsty? Is he hungry? Is he tired? And I was like, oh, he is, but he's six and he's busy and he's tight. You know, he's going to first grade all of a sudden and he's running around. And so all the questions they asked me, I had reasons why it was not a big deal. But he knew immediately, like, that was something he wanted to check was um, his blood sugar. So, you know, I think it was a very quick couple of appointments that day, later that day, and as well as maybe the next day, um, where they just wanted to check his, his urine and his blood for glucose levels. And, um, like I said, it was, it wasn't totally out of control. Um, I think he was maybe in the four hundreds, but he was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure this is, this is what it is. And that was it. So I'm really, I'm really grateful that I had that appointment myself and I, and I followed up because if, if not, we probably would have waited a few more weeks and not really thought much of it. Gotcha. So, so the bedwetting and, and the other things, just the tired and lethargic stuff, that was just, that was it. You never got to any of the kind of worse stuff, which yeah. is like, did he honeymoon at all? Or were you, was it pretty much, I need insulin right away. And it, it stayed like that. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, when people say honeymoon, I think of that as, and in my experience, honeymoon was he didn't need a lot of insulin, but he definitely needed it. And we definitely had to start doing injections right away and checking blood sugar right away. So, um, yeah, he definitely honeymooned probably six or eight months. And then it just, you know, he needed more after that. Were there ever moments when he flatly did not need insulin at all? Not really. No. And I mean, we were so new to it all. It was kind of a roller coaster. Um, Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it, really, it really shakes you up. Uh, any other endocrine problems in your family line that you know of? He had some relatives on his dad's side that had celiac and lupus. Um, actually, celiac and his pertern- on his dad's dad's side and then his dad's mom's side. Someone had lupus. So I feel like autoimmune diseases sometimes come together or... Sure. But nobody with that, no one with type 1 diabetes. Gotcha. Okay. That we know of. How did it start for you? You said you were using Omnipod prior to working for them. Did you go right to a pump or did you start with injections or what was the process of getting to where you are now? It's funny because, you know, when you are in that doctor's office and they start talking to you about all this stuff and you have absolutely no familiarity with it. You know, I remember in the endo office when he was, or, you know, in the hospital when he was first diagnosed, they said, you know, we typically wait six months to get people on a pump, but we could probably advance that up a little bit and get you started sooner. Um, and I didn't even know what an insulin pump was. You know, it was like, could That's somebody back up? <laughs> <laughs> could someone back up and tell me what that means? Um, but yeah, so lo and behold, we did get started with um, a different, a tubed pump, an animus pump at the time. Uh, probably, it was probably closer to a year, um, almost a year later. I think it just took time to, to get trained up on everything and then to choose the one we wanted. And, um, we changed, uh, clinics in that time too. So a lot of different, a lot of different reasons. Yeah. So, um, I think we were just getting comfortable with everything. And then we went to the pump in September that following year. And so he started on the animus. Um, he was, so he was seven, he, his birthday's in August. So he was just a little bit after seven and definitely made life easier. Um, we picked that one because it had the remote and you could bolus like across the room or mm-hmm. not have to find it on his belt. And I, I liked that. Um, of course, Omnipod had that same ability, but for some reason we didn't think that he'd like to have it stuck on his on his skin. Um, and at the time we didn't have a Dexcom yet. So gotcha. I think it was that idea of like, I don't know if he's really going to wear something on his skin. So we'll try this one first. And you have a Dexcom now. Yes. Using a G six. Yes. Yep. You said you were interested in interviewing me, but that's kind of professionally, but personally, were you aware of the podcast and did you listen to it or no? Not at first. So I actually, before I worked for Inslet, um, I worked for T1D exchange in Boston, which is a, type one diabetes, uh, nonprofit research organization. Um, and I had a similar role there. I was the content and community manager for their online patient community, which was, uh, called my mm-hmm. Um, and so it was there that I think I started to be more connected and aware of all of the different resources and blogs. And, um, and I think I had definitely heard about juice box podcasts, through that. Um, but I don't think we ever worked together. I don't think, you know, there was never an opportunity to have content connection, but I, I just remember hearing Juicebox podcast and seeing your little logo with the, with the picture of Arden on the Juicebox. But I wasn't really into um, podcasts in general. We, we actually had our own at, at T1D Exchange called Diabetes Speaks. I crushed it. I crushed them all. 
<laughs> but I had a colleague who was sorry. I'm just kidding. I had a colleague who was working on that, and he was so passionate about podcasting. And um, I was kind of like, I don't really understand. Like, when would I listen to this, and what, and why would I listen to this? <laughs> so funny. <laughs> I understand. I, I I really do. I um I don't. I did not know that they had a podcast. I I really. I was just joking. I didn't. I did not. Yeah. <laughs> I did not find out they had a podcast and set out to destroy it. They had a couple of seasons and then it um, just didn't get, you know, the funding that we needed to keep it going. Yeah, I understand. Um, okay. But so you weren't a listener is what, is what we're getting at. But And so when you and I spoke a month or so ago, how would you, how would you characterize how you were doing with Miles? Like as far as his blood sugars go and his A1Cs and, and your goals, were you reaching them? Were you struggling? Did you, were you lost? Like where were you at? When we first spoke recently? Yeah. I think all along we've been kind of on this roller coaster up and down, up and down, up and down. Um, you know, you have good, better periods of time and then you have others that are harder to manage. But I think when we, when I, when we spoke, I was very skeptical because I had started listening to the podcast and I just couldn't get my head around what you were saying versus what his, doctors were saying and telling us to do at his every three month appointments. Mm -hmm. And I am a rule follower. I'm very, you know, a type, like I'm not going to, I'm going to do exactly what somebody tells me to do. And for some reason I started listening and, um, feeling like maybe I should give this a try. If all of these other people are trying it. Um, I know he's not a doctor. I know he's not my doctor, but you can't argue with the numbers. So maybe I should listen to what he has to say. <laughs> was that difficult for you to kind of set aside a part of your brain that tells you, I've already got a doctor, they're telling me something, even though it's not going anywhere near what I expect or what I want or what I need? Yeah. Yeah. How did you do that? Did you just... Yeah, I think that was exactly it, as I was kind of like, okay, so we go to these appointments and they tell us not to correct within three hours. And I don't really understand how they can say that and then look at his numbers. And, um, you know, his A1C has always been, I'd say, between seven and a half and eight and a half. Um, I don't think it's ever gotten below, maybe it got below seven and a half, like once for like three months. And that was it. And so I started to think like, that's all fine that they're telling us to do this, but they're not really helping us to get this number down. Um, and they're not saying it's bad. And I guess, it's, you know, it's a scale, you know, it's not as bad as it could be, or it's not as high as it could be, right. but I would like it to be lower. And if I'm hearing that you are having all the success and other families are having, you know, much lower A1Cs and much less of a burden of diabetes taking over there every moment, then maybe I should um, put aside the, uh, yeah, the end of directions and take a look at this. Well, let's just say that we would never ask you to put aside your endos directions. Uh, right. <laughs> exactly. Well, right, right. But uh, Maybe incorporate it. Maybe, maybe just incorporate some other insights. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, well, that's really, I mean, it's honest of you. I appreciate it. And it's valuable for people to know because I'm sure that it's off-putting to be on social media somewhere, on Instagram, on Facebook, and everybody's like, you know, you know somebody comes on and says, uh, I can't get this this down or this won't work for me. And then some people come in and go, you should listen to the juice box podcast. You should try this, go to this episode, try that. Then you get there and I'm saying things you've never heard anybody say before. And, and it, you're just like, wait, what? That's completely different. And some right. people are in the spot where you ended up being, where you were like, look, I've seen this eight and a half a one C enough. Now I'm done with this. Let me try right. to figure something else out. And some people aren't in that spot yet. I, Listen, one of my best emails is from someone who's like, I started listening to the podcast 
and I hated you and everything you were saying. And then six months later, I picked it back up again, and I was like, oh, let me try this. And now here's my A1C, 6.8, yay. And and I was like, great, that's wonderful. I'm glad that it like struck you at some point. you know. Um, so for the people listening who have heard the Pro Tip series so far, um, basically what happened to Amy is that in less than an hour on the telephone, I condensed that 10, that, that now, I guess, nine-part series it's up to now, uh, and I jammed it into Amy's head. And when it was over, she sounded dizzy even when she wasn't speaking. So, <laughs> well, it, to be fair, I, I had listened to the Pro Tip series as well. Oh, <laughs> so. Very nice, very nice. But was yeah. it a lot to hear like all jammed like that? Or was it clarifying in ways? Or did it just make more questions? No, it wasn't too bad. I mean, I took notes. And I, I think it's funny. We, we work with Kate Hall, the um, amazing track uh, long jumper I don't know if you if you know about her but she held the high school record for long jump and um, she's a, also an omnipod wearer omnipotter I feel like she might be set up to be on the show I'm not sure oh yeah she's just really great and she had given a talk at um, the JDRF summit in Boston this past winter about sports and managing type one and what she there's something she said that always struck me is that with her diabetes and with her um, long jump, you know, her track and, and now she's a professional um, track athlete is that she wanted to, you know, she takes goals and she just picks one thing that she could be doing better. So you had given me a lot of things to think about. Um, but she said, you know, there's always going to be a million different things you could do better, but just pick one thing at a time. And she started doing that with her training. And, and also she thought, you know, she said, that's a really good way to look at diabetes. So you had given me, you know, ways to use basils, um, ways to, you know, the bump and nudge corrections and things like that. And I was just kind of like, okay, I've got all this information, but even if I just do one of these things, that's going to be better than, than none of these things. So that's kind of how I took it in. That's excellent. That's, that's, I think that's smart. You want to hear something funny? It is May right now, right? In 2019. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I'm recording with Kate Hall on December 3rd, 2019. (laughs) And she'll. Probably, oh wow! She probably won't go up until like, I don't know, maybe four months after that. So I'm set up. To she's a busy lady. Yeah. She, <laughs> she, well, I, I had to push her off a little bit. My 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 calendar my calendar's pretty set. Um. So it was. Well, I have to say, she. I also like her because she's from Maine, and um. So she's from New England, Northern New England, so, here where I'm from. So, so, I, so we have a lot in common. Alive. Yeah, you <laughs> can stay alive in that. In that. <laughs> in those temperatures is, is tough, except for, I, I, I love that at one point where you were like, I just thought my son was overwhelmed by like starting like full day, like first grade. I was like, Oh, she, I was like, Amy didn't think the kid was tough for a minute. She was like, <laughs> she was, she was like this one can't hack it. He's very sleepy after first grade. Um, right. okay, okay. So you, you, so you've done that now you, you chose something and you were like, well, let me start with this idea. What did you pick to start with? Before I start the Omnipod ad, do you want to hear something hilarious? The Kate Hall that I'm scheduled to record with is not the Kate Hall that Amy was talking about. I know, right? Boom! Mind blown. The Kate Hall I'm recording with is a famous soap opera writer. But that's for later. For now, Omnipod, baby. The only tubeless insulin pump in the world, and you want one. You know how I know? Because my daughter Arden has been using one for over 11 years. And it is fantabulous. You do not have to take my word for it. And that's the really kind of amazing part about Omnipod. All you have to do 
is go to myomnipod.com forward slash juice box and request a pod experience kit. That's right, a peck. Omnipod would like to give you a peck. They'd like to send it to your house for free so that you could try a pod on yourself and wear it and say to yourself, hmm, that Scott guy on the podcast said I'd put the pod on and then I wouldn't notice it after a little while. And that happened. And look how small it is. And it just holds the insulin and no tubing. And it inserts itself. That part you can't figure out with the demo, of course, because it's not really going to insert. It's a demo. But the best part is this. After you've decided that you love the Omnipod, it is completely simple just to get back in touch with Omnipod and say, let's keep going, baby. I want to be a potter. MyOmnipod.com forward slash juice box. Get a pod experience kit today. Wear it or let your child wear it. See what they think. Get started at your own pace. Get it today. Summer's here. You want to swim without having to disconnect from your insulin. You guys, we talk about it all the time. You want your basal insulin working for you. You don't want to have to disconnect to get in the shower or go swimming. MyOmnipod.com forward slash juice box with the links in your show notes or at juiceboxpodcast.com. Those biggest things in my head without even looking back at my notes. Um, we've definitely been doing the hat. Like I, I think when you said, if you see the arrow going up, even if the algorithm and the pump or whatever says don't correct, you know, because you've got too much insulin on board, just do a half a unit just to slow the arrow down. Um, I've definitely been doing that a lot. Like just do a half a unit or a, a 0.25 units, just a tiny amount. Um, and that's, that's been helpful. I mean, sometimes it's not enough, but at least you feel like it's something you can do to take action and you can see if it makes a difference before you then make your next decision or while you're waiting for that, you know, okay, I really shouldn't do much. I should wait it out a little bit. Yeah. I, people are starting so to that's, call that. That's something. That, and that's working. So you're, you're stopping the arrow or uh, I think Jenny called it. Did Jenny call it arrow tax at some point while we were talking? Like there's an, an arrow tax. Somebody said an arrow tax. On a, and oh, I don't know. It's popping up <laughs> on social media now, like some that that stuck in people's heads. Uh, but the other, yeah, the other thing is, um, we struggle with pre-bolusing. I know that you're supposed to, and I know how much of a difference it makes, and I understand the science behind the speed at which insulin works versus your food mm-hmm. hitting your bloodstream. But you know, he's very um, in the moment. You know, doesn't have a lot of patience. So when you said there was a bit about like add to that amount, you know, add to your bolus to cover that spike that will come because you didn't pre-bolus. That made a lot of sense to me. And we've been doing that as well. So you've been over bolusing the meal to make up for the lack of a pre-bolus and that's working? Uh Yeah, that's working pretty well. Yeah. I mean, it's always a little tough when it's a meal that's, you know, you you also are extending and you're figuring all that stuff out. Um, But I had a pretty good sense of extending bolus before. So this piece was kind of like a a, like light bulb over my head when you said that cool. I was like oh that makes total sense and it makes me feel like it's not always an immediate failure when you can't pre-bolus I was gonna say it's so hard to figure out basil so that you know I feel like it's constantly like you have no idea what basil is the right amount and that and I remember you said that too was like well none of this matters if you don't have your basils right and I just feel like that's a constant struggle is increasing and decreasing and changing basils and then you're like oh no I did it too much he was low all day and it's hard yeah if you're not thinking about basal insulin in the in the in the framework of timing and amount just like I'll tell you like when I say everything's timing and amount I mean the bolus and the basil like I Mm -hmm. just it's always the right amount of insulin at the right time and that could mean it could mean a lot of different things I saw a person online today 
who showed a graph of like their kid's blood sugar who had gotten high during an activity. Mm-hmm. And I said, that's basil. And they're like, no, no, the basil's right. Because a couple hours later, it went right back in. I'm like, yeah, but the basil wasn't right during the activity. Right. Like, just because at, at three, 3 o'clock in the afternoon the day before the kid's blood sugar was stable, you added something else to it. You added right. you know, a another variable right that, that, that hit him with some adrenaline probably and popped him up. And, but it's funny when you say there's not enough basil there, the default in their head was, no, no, that's always, that's right. I know that's right. And so right. they skip over the actual answer and then start searching for something else that must happen. And the things they come up with are always amazing. It's, it, I'm like, no, it's more basil. And they're like, no, 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 here's what it is. He bumped his knee on a thing. And I'm like, no, 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 I don't know what you're talking about. More basil. And so yeah. um, it is, it's just great. It's great to hear you say that you're, that you're figuring out. So it's only been like a month or so, but do you have the clarity app? I was going to ask you. Like, um, I probably, I probably do, but I haven't set it up. I should look and see if I have it while we're talking, but I, I used to use, um, Gluco and this is probably, I, I just have, we switched to dash and I haven't figured out how to hook, hook up dash to Gluco. So I'm, I just feel like I'm a little bit in this place where of all the times I should be looking at it very carefully. I'm in this transition. I'm just dying. Um, I'm dying to know what the estimate of your A1C is for the last like 30 days. Well, yeah. So that being said, I have the SugarMate app, and oh. that's what we use. Um, and that has we've been keeping our eye on that. And actually, that is something we can talk about this more too. But like behaviorally, that's something that motivates Miles is to keep his eye on that. Um, and so if I look at the 30 day estimated through SugarMate, it's like 6.9. And what was it? What was it at your last blood? Uh, uh, I believe it was, I want to say 8.2. Oh, well that's yeah. significant. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's really exciting. Oh my God. It really is exciting. I, I mean, I and that's, like I said, that's an estimate and it's, you know, you never know if it's accurate, but it's, it's definitely gone down was a it, lot. <laughs> it wasn't 8.4. So yay. Right. right. <laughs> imagine if a month later you're like, it hasn't moved at all. This is just the guy, the podcast guy. And now I got to talk to him and pretend I care, but my A1C hasn't moved at all. But 6.9 from eight and a half is nuts. Like try. I know. Imagine, in 30 days. Oh my God. Try to imagine where you're going to be in 60 days. I know it's exciting. And I guess one thing I'd say is like, I, right now I'm literally looking at it and he's 360 and he's at school and we struggle a lot when he's out of sight because he, you know, he's definitely in that like preteen mode of like, I'm going to ignore my diabetes. Um, his, his school nurse is not always able to be on top of it. So I kind of have to look at it. Like we do the best we can with doing these techniques when we can, but it's not all the time. Um, and it's, you know, it's definitely not perfect, but it's enough that it's making a difference. It's making it. Well, can I ask you a question? And please don't feel judged. Um, just for the conversation, can you not text him right now and be like, "Yo, bolus"? Um, I could. So it's funny. He he got a text. We have like a group text between his school nurse and his dad and I. And the school nurse had texted him. Uh, you know, texted all of us, but said, "You know, Miles, do you need to correct?" And this was at nine thirty-seven, and I, there's no response. So. It's a little hard. I never know whether I should jump in and also ask or, you know, call her and say, so did he, he's also had lunch since then. So we're still, you know, we struggle a lot with like how to manage him in middle school when he is on his own and the school nurse is not right there with him all the time. And I'm not right there with him. Um, But yeah, I probably could. Yesterday we had a day where uh, three of us, his stepdad, his dad, and me all texted him. 
to ask if he had corrected. And I found that out last night and felt terrible, you know? So. Oh, see, you felt bad. <laughs> I would send, is he using an iPhone? Yes. Yeah. I send, what I do is if I don't get a response in a timely fashion and it's important, I send the find your iPhone tone, which is a deafening and incredibly embarrassing tone that the phone makes. And then oh, really? I find then Arden texts me right back after that happens. Interesting. Uh, yeah. So I'm um, less concerned with her, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, happiness? No, no, that's not the right social, word. Social, yeah. social calm. Like, like I don't, I listen, it's not every day. It's not even every week. And it's not every time. Like, don't get me wrong. If Arden's blood sugar was 120 and I'm like, hey, let's, you know, bolus 0.4 here and I don't hear back from her, I'm not going to bother her. Like, that's that's silly. But but if she was climbing or rising or if it was an hour before lunch and she was 200 and I thought we have to get this down before we pre-bolus for the food and she wasn't answering me, then I would – and I don't – by the way, you you sort of said it a second ago and I want to reiterate – Miles isn't doing anything wrong. He's 11. Arden's 14. Right. Like, you know, I'm happy my daughter's not running around constantly thinking, oh, I, I have diabetes. I should be doing something. I don't want her thinking like that. I don't want to, like, envelop right. her. But but she has to know, I think, that there are times when I don't really care. You, you, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, she told me one time, she's like, you have to – she's like, don't text me right now. I'm taking a test. And I actually texted her back and I said – Knowing math won't help if your blood sugar's over 200 all day. And so I don't care about your math quiz. I care about your blood sugar. And then I care about your math quiz. There's a pecking order. Health is first. The rest of it comes later. And I think that's a dad thing. Yeah. I think that's a perfect segue into our conversation about parenting because I feel like Ma, I get accused all the time um, by my husband of, you know, you're too soft on him. You're too worried about how he feels about it all and his, you know, emotional state, you know he's lying to you or he's ignoring you or whatever. And he's like, you've got to punish him for that. Or you've got to get him to understand. And I'm like, Oh, but I feel bad. It's not as salty as diabetes. You know? uh, here is, <laughs> he'd just be a little jerk about something else if he didn't have diabetes probably. And so uh, here's, what I, here's what I've told my wife throughout the years. You're not his defense attorney. That's what I tell my wife about my son. I've never once, <laughs> se- I've never once seen her defend my daughter the way she defends my son. First is, is interesting. Oh my God. Are you kidding? The minute the boy was born, right, he came out, the doctor grabbed him, I cut the cord, and then it was like an alarm went off in the room. I was like, what's that bell? And Kelly goes, oh, you're not my boyfriend anymore. Now that kid is. And so, you know, you're just here You're just here now to make me and my new boyfriend happy and comfortable in any way you possibly can. And, and so uh, we'll, we'll tell you what to do. You'll do it and then quietly sit in the corner and wait for a new task to come. And, and I, it does happen to moms sometimes. And I do think, especially with boys. And I don't, you know, yeah. I don't understand the psychology behind it. But my children are aware that if if they were to ignore me on that level, um, diabetes or not diabetes, I I would show up in their school. I'd be like, hi, and I'd bring, yeah, them, and I'd be like, hi, I have to just go talk to my kid for a second, and then once you pull them up here, and they pull them up, I'd walk aside and go, hey, I've been texting you, haven't answered me. That's going to be a problem if you don't do it. And then that would be it. Yeah, so that's it. You're fr- you're from New England. Take him out in the cold without his clothes. Make him freeze for 15 minutes. Bring, don't let Dyfus find out. Bring him back in and be like, "Do you want that to happen again?" Of course you don't, because your toes are blue now, Miles. Let's say. so. What do you got? What are you gonna do? So if people tell you about it, and you kind of seem to see it, what stops you from doing? It? I think that's the real like joking aside. That's the real question. Like, what stops you from being like, "Hey, you're 360. I don't care if you've been talking to the nurse. This isn't okay." Um, 
I mean, I, I get to the point where I'm like, listen, like you, this is unacceptable. There's certain times a day when you have to pay attention to your diabetes. Um, I know this isn't your choice to have this condition in your life and it wasn't mine either, but we've got to, there's certain times a day when you've just got to do what you got to do. And it's, it's not negotiable. Um, that being said, if you do that, then I won't be texting you and I won't be bothering you because we'll be keeping it in check. Um, but it does, it gets to the point where it has to be like a really kind of high day, like really high, you know? And I'm like, okay, it's not just a little high. It's really high and it's not good. So here's my suggestion. Maybe, maybe you scare the life out of him in a different part of his life, not the diabetes part. Like for instance, have you ever taken every piece of anything that brings any joy to your child out of their room and locked it into a closet for a month? Have you ever done that? Uh, because <laughs> it's exhilarating. When you take the television down and they're looking at you like, oh my God, my TV. I'm like, oh yeah, everything's going. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You just have to assert yourself. It's funny. That's what it basically came down to. Um, recently we had one of those days and I, and he had a baseball game that night and baseball means everything to him. And I said, you know what, not only can I sit here and tell you that you're not going to play well and you're going to let your shame down, but like, I might just not let you play if this happens again that day, you know, on this, you know, you can't be at school all day and be off the charts and ignoring your diabetes and then come home and expect to go to baseball. Like it's just not. And I think that's scared a little bit, you know? Um, and I think that's, that we have to find that thing that he cares about that he could lose. And it's hard. Cause I, again, I go back to the emotional part. Like, I don't know if psychologists would agree, like you shouldn't punish your child for anything related to diabetes. You know, you should incentivize them and reward them, but don't punish them. It's like, it's like anything with parenting diabetes or not, you know, it's, there's just different techniques and some people feel strongly about, about different ones. Yeah. So I, I definitely struggle with that. And I definitely have, um, you know, I have a, uh, my my ex-husband and my husband both involved and we probably all have different opinions about that which makes it I hear you. which makes it interesting so so let me say i joked around a lot here but let me be serious for a second so and i was serious about some of it i you know i think that there's i agree with you i don't punish arden related to diabetes right i i speak to her clearly about it i make sure she understands the pros and the cons and what could go right and what could go wrong and why some things are important why they're not in other aspects of her life though she knows, and I'll just bleep this out, out later. She knows I'm not. <laughs> so there's an yeah. expectation that that knowledge translates to other things and you don't have to say it. Yeah, that's a good point. And so I'm, I'm going to give you the benefit of my, um, of, a, of an experience. So uh, most people may or may not know listening to this, but I have been a stay at home father since my son was born and my son Tomorrow, I'm going to go pick my son up from his last day of his freshman year of college. So that's how long I've been a stay-at-home dad, right? And in that time, in that time, I have learned a ton about what women bring to parenting that men don't instinctively bring to parenting. And I've tried my hardest to incorporate some of those ideas into myself. And um, I've done that because I thought my children deserved it. You know, we had this role reversal and I realized my wife would have done things, said things, felt things that I'm not experiencing. And so I need to understand what those things are because my children are at the moment being robbed of a maternal influence in their day-to-day -day life while my wife's at work. So I'm a bit of a blend now of, you know, a traditional mom and a traditional dad, I think. Yeah. But the one thing, the one thing that I've noticed over and over again that I'm grateful for, for being a stay-at-home father is that in those moments, 
I am not conflicted by any of the things that you brought up. Like, it's not fair to them. Or they didn't ask for this. Like, those feelings, Mm -hmm. they never pop into my head. Like Interesting. Not not once. I would never in that moment. I have a a simple pecking list. I've prioritized it in my head. Health comes before everything else. And so – I'm a guy. I'm like a. I'm like a rock with with a pulse, right? I'm, I'm not. I don't think that much. Yeah. I just. I just. I set out on my course. I follow my list, and I go. Okay, health is first. I don't care if you're taking a quiz. We're gonna bowl us now. Um, you know, I don't care if you're talking to your friends. That's meaningless to me. You know, yeah. I, I know we've texted more today than we do normally, and it's annoying. And trust me, I'm annoyed too. But let's just do what we have to do and move on. And that has served me well in the bigger picture because my kids and I do have a relationship where we can be at, you know, for the lack of a better term, parenting odds in one moment. And then it shifts right back again. Like no, there's no hard feelings. People don't aren't mad for hours at a time after I've had to assert myself as a parent. It's just, it's expected. Dexcom's taught me how to expect something. You want to know what it is? rock-solid data about my daughter's blood sugar, the direction it's moving, and the speed it's getting there. Is she 102 and headed up, headed down, or staying stable? That's the incredibly important information. Forget that she's 102. I don't care if she's 102 or 80 or 130. I mean, I do, but you know what I mean. It's more important to know how fast she's moving and where she's going. It's incredibly interesting to see I ate dinner at 6 p.m., And my blood sugar just never moved right until 640. And then, oh, it started to go up. That kind of information makes me think, huh, is there a way I can change my pre-bolus or an extended bolus? Is there a way I can put my insulin in a different spot to help that rise to not happen? How about three hours after I eat? Is my blood sugar going down? Maybe my insulin's gotten unbalanced, right? Maybe the food's gone now, but the insulin remains behind. I wonder if I would have slid my pre-bolus forward five more minutes or done a different, I don't know, amount of insulin. Would that low have never come? It's interesting information to have. That's how you think about your diabetes at another level. You want to be a ninja with diabetes? You need the information. You need to know when to react, right? I'm not Yoda. I can't close my eyes and see stuff coming at me. I need to know what's happening so I can react, so that I can get out of the way or get in the way. Dexcom can help you see the stuff that you previously couldn't see. And you'll find out more at Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. I implore you to get started today. And let me tell you one last thing so I don't have to bother you again with an ad for the rest of this episode. Because it's a nice long episode and it goes on. It's almost like a new episode's going to start soon. Amy and I really get into a great conversation. So let me just say this real quick before we uh, before we go. Please check out Dancing for Diabetes. It's dancing the number four diabetes.com. They're on Instagram, they're on Facebook, they're on the web. You have to see what they're doing for children living with type 1. I was just at their Touch by Type 1 event a few weeks ago, and it's just an incredible organization. It's worth five minutes of your time. Take a look at dancing4diabetes.com. We're on Instagram and Facebook. I definitely had some, some new ideas though, about like, well, maybe I should do this differently or maybe I should, you know, maybe I should show up at the school. I'm lucky enough that I get to work from home a lot. Mm -hmm. And I literally the other day had this thought that if no one else, if he's not going to pay attention to this and his school nurse 
can't or isn't, I'm going to just bring my laptop and sit at the middle school all day one day and do my work from there and check in with him when I need to. <laughs> and like that would maybe that would turn him around quick to have mom in the hallway with her laptop. <laughs> not, just a, not just a helicopter mom, but an attack helicopter mom. Like, I mean, literally, there's Wi-Fi there, right? Like, what else do you need? <laughs> See, I've told this story in the past. and I haven't told it in a while. But when I think of that. I'm obviously nowhere near the parent my father was in the 70s, right? Like in the 70s mm-hmm. and like outside of Northeast Philadelphia. I don't think he once thought about anything about what I cared about or was concerned with. Right. But I've I've told the story before that I got sick one time and the doctor gave us pills and we got the pills home and they were huge. I mean like really big, not just because I was uh. a kid. They were monstrous. And I, I, I took it out. And I was like, I can't take this. And my dad's like, oh, don't do that. Just take the pill. And, you know, and so I put it in my mouth. And I was like, I can't do this. And he said something like, those are expensive. And if you spit that out, and he didn't even like get to finish his thought. And I thought, okay, I really have to swallow this. So I went to try to swallow it and I couldn't. And the next thing you know, a man who could have just broke me in half if he wanted to was about six (laughs) inches from my nose. And he was like, swallow the pill right now. And you know what I did, Amy? I swallowed the pill. And figured it out, yeah. (laughs) Because it seemed better than the perceived beating I was about to take over yeah. the pill. And I don't think he really was going to do that. But I mean, he pressured he pressured me to swallow that pill and I did it. And I'm not a serial killer now. Um, I don't have any weird sexual fetishes that I'm not... No, no. Like, like, yeah, I'm not broken in any meaningful way. You know, so lean on that kid a little bit. That's that's my... I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah I de- and I, I definitely think I was talking about this at, um, at work yesterday. We had a retreat and we were all socializing and somebody was talking about... Um, chores and allowance and that kind of thing. And, and, um, one of the people in the conversation that doesn't have kids, she was, she's younger than us. And she was like, but I don't understand when I was growing up, I just had my chores and I had to do them. And that was it. There was like, it was just this expectation. I don't understand what you guys are talking about struggling to get your kid to do what you want them to do. And we were like, it's just a generational thing. Like kids just they, they don't have that same fear of their parents or that same. Oh, my kids are still afraid. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe it's because we're too soft on them. Yeah. So it's the, it's the, it's the winters. In- it's an ongoing battle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have to say, when I, when I listened, to, when I used to listen to you before I started these techniques, that's, that was always kind of something I was skeptical of as I was like, he must be bothering her all day long on her phone and she must hate it. Yeah. And I don't know if I could do that. Yeah, we haven't, we haven't <laughs> spoken. It's 11 o'clock here. She left the house at 7. I haven't spoken to her today at all. So uh, That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, I, she will talk while we're – she will text while we're talking about her – about her lunch – about her lunch bolus. But that's it. It will go back and forth real quickly. Anyway, I, and, and I get to – imagine if you start listening to this podcast on the day where I'm joking around about like, you know – pressuring children to swallow pills they can't swallow or something like that. If that was your first episode, you'd be like, Oh my God. But right. I, 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 I don't know. I should call, I should call somebody. This guy said in this podcast, but it's, you know, it's an, it's an idea. It's an overarching kind of like feeling in your life. Like I don't, I didn't grow up feeling like I could assert myself too much with my parents. I could tell them what I thought. And when they told me they didn't care, I was pretty much done. You know, like yeah. I didn't get to, um, I didn't get to appeal to a higher court. I couldn't, you know, turn, <laughs> turn to my mother or father, depending on who I was talking to. There was just that was it. And they were nice. They were blue collar people, and they did not have time for my BS. So yeah. it was this is how it is, and and do it. And so the other day, I I took on a big project at my house. I regraded a portion of my lawn, 
and I had to rent like a small machine to move a significant amount of topsoil around. And when it was over and Arden came home from school, she's like, can I help? And I was like, yeah, sure. Um, get a broom and we're going to hose off the driveway. You can broom the mud into the grass as I'm doing it. Right. Yeah. And she comes out and she's like, all right. And for some reason she was into helping. I didn't know why. So I just let her help. And then she says, <laughs> she says, I should get paid for this. And I said, you know, to know something, I agree with you. I said, I will give you 10 American dollars for this work today. And she said, this is, that's not enough money. And I said, that's all I'm offering. And, um, and then she was like, okay. So then she starts doing, she goes, my sneakers are getting muddy. If they get dirty, I'm going to need new sneakers. I said, well, you better hope you can buy them for $10 because that's all you're <laughs> going to make on this job. And so she kind of like laughed and I was like, don't laugh. I'm not kidding. And, and, and she goes, dad, these sneakers only cost $20. I'm always thinking about saving you money. And I said, okay. I said, well, if, if they get ruined, I will buy you a new pair of sneakers up to $20. She's like, oh my God, I'm going to get a new pair of sneakers and $10. I went, oh no, no, you can get the new sneakers <laughs> or you can get the $10. You can't get both. One or the other. Right, right. And and she looked at me like maybe I was crazy. And then I was like, do you want to try to drive the the little loader that I rented, like the Bobcat? And she's like, really? And I'm like, yeah, sure, try it. So I let her drive that around in the driveway and you know, taught her how to drive it. And she took her a couple minutes to figure it out. And then she was like tooling around with it. We got everything cleaned up. She put it back. And I said, was it fun driving the thing? And she said, yeah. I said, I ought to charge you 10 bucks for driving that, but I won't because I love you. <laughs> and I think you did a good job working here. So then we get in the house. That's funny. And my wife goes, are you going to pay her? I'm like, no, no, let her come to me. And she's like, what? I'm like, I'm not giving her the money until she asks me for it. I was like, we don't pay for 90 days here. That, that's our, <laughs> that's how we handle it here. We're like, <laughs> when I send my invoices out for the podcast ads, I don't get my money back the same day. I was like, let her, let, right. her, let her done, let her done me a little bit. Let her come after, like, but seriously, like, give her some responsibility in it a little bit. So we were joking around, but I think that's just the general vibe here is that we're in charge. They can have their opinions. We totally let them, you know, we're not like my dad, um, uh, you know, my wife's parents were, they're allowed to voice their opinions. They're allowed to argue with us. They're allowed to show us why they think we're wrong. And in the end, if we say no, that's kind of where it ends. Um, but I, well, I think that's, I, I was going to say, I think it, is, it relates to diabetes. When I, when I, when my son was first diagnosed, I very quickly got into this business as a, you know, as a professional and I found myself connected and getting to know adults with diabetes who were diagnosed as kids. Yeah. And I had this constant, um, you know, information about what that was like and them saying what it was like when their child, when their parent wouldn't let them go on the, on the overnight school trip and what it was like when they had to eat the same amount of goldfish every day for snack. And, and so I think I just early on got that like sympathy bug where I was hearing from these adults about how hard it was to have parents all over them about their diabetes. <laughs> and so I'm not, I don't do as well with the, like, it's I'm in charge. It's for your own good. You can have an opinion, but it's really, you know, I'm not interested. So it's, it's just tough for me, I think. And I, I think in this community, that's something that's so different is the people who have diabetes versus the parents who are managing it for a child who has it. It's such a different experience and you can never know what it's like to be on, on the other side. And I, you know, I've had brainstorms and wishes around like, how could we connect more people? Like, so that that experience that I had with my coworkers, like, how could we get the general community to have that, like have a relationship with somebody else who could give them that insight in case it would be helpful. I don't know if it would be as helpful for adults who have diabetes to hear from a parent, but I, I think definitely parents could, be, could benefit, you know, maybe even you, I don't know. <laughs> so here's what I, here, 
from talking with an adult who was diagnosed at six and hearing all those stories of like, it kind of sucks when your parents texting you, or it kind of sucks when you can't do things that you want to do. I don't know. I'm just, well, let me tell you, my just thinking out loud. Well, let me tell you my experience from, from recording the podcast. So there are 230 episodes up and I've recorded 40 more and I will do hundreds more in the coming years, I imagine. And I have, so you have had that experience. And I've heard, I've heard from those adults, and I've heard what you got, which was it stunk being like somebody up my butt all the time and blah, blah, blah. And I've also heard from people who are on donor lists waiting for kidneys telling me they wish their parents would have been more. Involved. Yeah. And so and, – and everywhere in between. Like those are two, two, two sides of the, of, the, you know, of the rainbow and everywhere in between. My, my parents helped a little. They helped a lot. Sometimes they didn't know, but they wanted to be valuable. What I got mostly from most of them was that it was comforting to know that they cared. That was that's that's most people's takeaways. Whether they were harsh and didn't know what they were talking about, or at least I knew they were interested. The people whose whose parents just don't talk to them at all about it in one way or the other, they seem devastated. And just leave it to them, right? Yeah, and so I can see that. So I I take your point a hundred percent, but I would want to I would want to add to it. I wonder how those people who you spoke to back then would have felt if their parents were more involved and had valuable information for them. Right. And yeah. so that's the goal of this podcast. And that's what you, yeah. Yeah. And we've come so far, yeah. you know, now versus then. So I, you know, of course there's that, you know, I'm talking to a 35 year old talking about her experience in the eighties is obviously going to be very different. Yes. When she was taking regular and MPH and her meter was the size of a brick and it didn't leave her house. Right. right, right, and she had to eat the same amount of food every day, and, and her, there was no wiggle room. Right, and that and that's what was in her parents' head, which was, you know, uh, either they were doing carb exchange, right, where it was like you have to eat this certain amount of carbs, and so some, so so imagine some doctor who had a 1980s idea of type one diabetes. I mean, and imagine that versus the idea you hear now, and still you talk to doctors like God, these people don't understand this at all. So, so, so they had that 1980 idea of it, and they're like, look. At this time, you put in this amount of insulin and you make sure to eat this many carbs and do it. Because if you don't... And it will all balance out. Yes. If you do this exactly like this, everything will be okay. And if you don't, you're going to... You know, someone's going to have to cut your foot off one day or whatever like scary thing they told you. Scary, yeah. Right? And now that parent, every time they have that meal, that's in their head. Three, Three times at least a day for years and years and years. So it probably gets boiled down to... Hey, eat that right now or make sure that's 25 carbs or, or that kind of thing where I would say to Arden, listen, you know, are you going to snack on that? That's fine. I don't know. Start with three units and we'll readdress it if you snack longer than you think you're going to. And that's a freedom Arden loves because the other day, excuse me, the other day I had to go to the dentist in the afternoon and she, I'm leaving and I was in a rush and I'm like, I got to go. And she's like, I'm really hungry. I want to have some of these like little Ritz thin crackers or something like that. I was like, all right, do me a favor because I'm leaving. Count them out. So I, we know how much we're doing. And she was like, I don't want them then. Like if I have to count these crackers, I don't want to eat them. And huh. so that shows you how much the freedom of snacking means to her. Like, like she, yeah. you know, we have set up this world where, um, you know, she can have a little bit of insulin snack and then add more if she needs more insulin later. When I said to her, count these all, make sure you eat these and put in this insulin. She's like, I don't want to do this. Now you might think, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what Scott did next. 
what I did was I said, just count the crackers out and put the insulin in. I got to go. I'm late for the dentist. Okay, I'm not interested in your conversation here about your thoughts about these crackers. You're hungry. I see that you're hungry. This is not the time to take some sort of a stand. We'll deal with this later. And you know what she did? She counted the crackers. She gave herself the insulin. Everything was fine. So, Well, you know what? I, that's a good – that actually leads me to a question. So Arden um, was diagnosed when she was a baby, right, or two very young. Just a couple of weeks after her second birthday. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, my question to you is, you know, my, my thought is the other day I was trying to get Miles to understand this is that he came into this world right when, um, Dexcom was coming out. Well, not coming out, but like the G4, I think was the first one we had. Um, Omnipod was available. He has all of these tools, um, and we're fortunate enough to have access to them. And he doesn't realize how flexible life is with these tools. He looks at it as like, I don't want to put my duck swim sensor on. I don't want a bolus. Like it's all a burden to him. But when I think about someone like Arden, you know, you must've really experienced, you know, before we had such flexibility, um, maybe not as much as like my, my friend who's 35, you know, she didn't have any flexibility, but the fact that all of these devices and tools that, that we, are fortunate enough to have access to make our lives easier. I wish I could get him to understand, like, this is not that bad. Like, if, if this had been 10 years ago, it would have been totally different. So, <laughs> so I, I was just wondering if you, you know, if it was when she was obviously as a toddler, that must have been difficult for different reasons, but just the devices alone make it easier. I think it's an ongoing conversation and it's one we've had over and over again, you know, in different strengths based on how old she was and how mature she was. So the other day, this came up, and I said, Arden, we really need to add a fifth and sixth location for your Omnipod, because Arden is left of her navel, right of her navel, sort of up and down, and she's Mm -hmm. thighs, right? But I really want her to periodically put them on the back of her arms. Is it FDA approved for the back of your arms? Yeah, so actually, I will say, as the marketing person... Everybody always shows pictures of the arms, and I'm always trying to remind people, you don't have to just use your arms. There's other places, so that's awesome to hear she, yeah. she's not an arm. Uh, a lot of people you know, love the arm or, or think that's the only place. So she hates the idea of it being on her arm. Now, now here's why. She hates it. She said, okay, so we're good now, so I'm quitting my, my messaging app. So she, she hates the idea of her arm based on an experience she had when she was like six, where she wore it on her arm, had to go to softball one day, she threw it, and all she – she could feel it moving around and that sticks with her all this time. So I said, yeah, Miles won't, won't wear it on his throwing arm right. at all <laughs> during baseball season. Yeah, exactly. So, but she somehow had an, has an aversion to it now, but I'm like, look, we have to start using your arms more frequently. And she kind of like pushed back and I told her, look, if we ruin your sights on your stomach and on your legs, yeah, they're done. You're done. And (laughs) if you want to go back to injections, that's fine. But I'm thinking for what we do, you're going to get about 15 of them a day. And you're going to have to, you know, is that what you want to do? If that's what you want to do, I don't care. I was like, but, but just understand that, you know, some of the food decisions you make aren't going to work out as well anymore. And, you know, and you're going to get injections a lot more. So do you want that? If you do, I'll do that for you. Yeah. She's like, no. And I said, okay, well then we're going to try your arm just get over it. Like it's not, the, it's not the worst thing in the world. And, and we've had versions of that conversation, you know, a few times a year for years. And that's they, what I say too. Yeah. I like when, when he doesn't want to, so he, Miles is the thing about his, the sensor 
insertion, you know, even with the G6, he still winces and says it hurts. And so he, he procrastinates or he says, can I have a break? And I, and I have that same, like, well, it's your choice. It's your body. Um, however, if you don't wear your your CGM, we're going to be checking your blood sugar with your finger every hour, um, or every half hour or whatever. And I'm like, I don't think you want to do that. Do you? But if you do, then yes. But if not, let's just put the sensor on. And usually he's like, all right. And he rolls his eyes. Of course. The truth is if we get into a time machine and go ahead, you know, 50 years and the G6 is the size of a, a hair and it's a little tiny pill and you have to swallow yeah. it and like, they're going to complain about that. Like, right. because it sucks because, because Amy, everything, anything, excuse me, anything you have to do beyond what normal situations ask of people is extra and extra yeah. and extra stinks. But it doesn't have to be a fight your entire life. Like at some point you just have to say like, this is, this is my life. Like this is how this is going to go. And I'm, I'm going to just accept that and move on. Listen, my son is finishing up at college. I told you, and we were FaceTiming with him last night. He's got like one paper left and it's in a, it's in a class. He doesn't particularly enjoy that. I don't think he's as strong at his mind doesn't sort of work in that way. It's a philosophy class. And he's got to write this paper. And, you know, we were talking to him a little bit and he was bouncing some ideas off it. And right before he went, I said, hey, I need to tell you something real quick before you go. And I said, "Um, at the moment, you're thinking about this paper as something that you have to do to get a grade. You've decided it's work. And I was like, I really think that this next 10 hours with this paper would go a lot easier if you just tried to do your best. Like if you read this stuff and instead of thinking, oh, I have to read this, just think like, let me try to learn this because it's all just your perspective. One way or the other, you're going to read all this material. You're going to write all the things you're going to write and you're going to hand it in. This is not going to change, but it's, it's you that you could change. Like you could change your attitude about this situation. And if you did that, this could end up being a pleasant thing. And not only that, but the outcome is going to be better. I said, I promise you, if you stop thinking about this as a chore and start thinking about it as something that you're going to do and try to do your best at and try to enjoy, it will, it'll feel better when it's over. And I watched a real look on his face of like, all right, that, that makes sense. And uh, he said, I'll try. And I was like, okay. I'm like, just chill out, man. Like, just read the, read the thing and write what you think. And, yeah. and it'll, be, it'll be better, I promise. I think this is all the same thing. There was a, um, we have on the, on the blog, um, a series with Sean Busby from writing on insulin. He had done some video interviews with people and they were all, you know, a lot of them were, were folks that are in his writing on insulin organization. And, um, one of them was this, this kid, um, I can't remember his name. I want to say his name may have been Dan, but he, his story of when he was first diagnosed is he said, I think he was maybe a teenager. So he was a little bit more, you know, cognitively mature, but he said there was a sign in his kitchen that his mom had on the, on the wall. And it said, whatever you are, be a good one. And when he read that, he said, well, if this is what I've got to deal with, at least I'm going to, I'm going to do the best that I can and be a good, he said, I'm going to be a good diabetic, which I know diabetic is not a label that people always like to use, but he said it himself. And I, I think of that a lot. And I think that's similar to what you're saying. It's like, if you, if your hand, you dealt this hand, you might as well play, play it the best you can. You know, what's funny. About and I think that's a good thing to remember. I, th- I think that's, it's perfect. It's not just about diabetes or parenting. It's about life. Like you just, yeah. you, you know, I mean, your situation is your situation complaining about it or feeling bad about it. I mean, if you're chemically, listen, if you have a chemical 
imbalance and you can't stop yourself from feeling depressed about something, that's one idea. But for the rest of you, just stop dwelling about it. Like change your perspective. Like I tell people all the time, like you can't be dramatic about diabetes and be successful with diabetes. Like if you're always running around yelling, Oh, can you believe this happened? Can you believe that the pot, you know, uh, my, my infusion fell out. It's so irritating. Or, you know, the Dexcom needed to be reset for two hours. Oh, I can't believe it. Or, you know, this stuff always happens at the worst time. Like there's a good time for your, for your sensor to need to be replaced. Like what's the good, right? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And so when you want to be dramatic about things, then it's always a problem. Or you could just accept that this is it and do it. And that's just, that's how I do it. And, but again, I'm a boy. So and yeah. I don't mean that like detrimentally about women. I just mean that I lack, I lack the ability to think about things. Empathy. <laughs> I'm just like, it's, it's that old thing. Like, you know, a kid gets hurt on a, on a sports field and all the moms jump up and the dads don't even notice it happens. They're I, I actually yeah. said to my, my wife, like he could really be hurt. And I said, well, if he's dead, there's nothing we can do about it. You, you know, like, like, you know what I mean? But if he's not dead, these and if he's not, then great. Well, well, well. Beyond that, though, if he's not, then these couple of minutes where we don't rush out to him like his nursemaid are going to build character. So he's either dead yeah. or he's not dead. And if he's not dead, then let's do something positive for him. And if he is dead, we can be sad in a minute. Like, like, like. You don't need to just sit here. It's worth sitting here for a second. Just let him live in it for a minute. And I don't know. It just seems like common sense to me. I think that's that's a good. It's also a good segue to um, you know, what I wanted. What the one question I had for you for just our conversation is, um, I feel like what you're doing on the blog and what, or you know, on the podcast and what I'm trying to do on our content and in, um, I also do freelance arting, uh, articles for other diabetes sites. Is like not always trying to be Susie Sunshine, but to show that positive aspect and to show that like you can struggle with certain topics and certain things, but here's the tools that can, that can help and can make it better. And, and I think that that's an important thing for, you know, I don't know how involved everybody with diabetes gets with being connected to the community, but I think if you do have that connection and you can read and hear about other people's experiences, you know, that's, that's impactful. And I'm really grateful to you for this podcast because, you know, as I'm driving to, act in Massachusetts 90 minutes each way when I do go to the office, you know, I have something to listen to that helps me at the end of the day with my own management of this. And however you absorb those experiences and that information, you know, I do think that can change people's perspectives. Otherwise, when you're alone and you feel like no one understands and nobody else gets it, you can wallow and you can be very negative. Um, so I'm particularly proud of, you know, both of us for being in this community and in this world of giving people some information that hopefully helps, even if it helps one person, you know, it's, it's a one more than zero. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And I appreciate that, that, that you're trying to you're doing the same thing. I, I'll tell you that my perspective on it is, is pretty simple. So there are, a, when you say the diabetes community, I hope, I hope that you and everybody else knows who's listening that right now. I just said those words and mm, close to 10,000 people heard it. Okay. And, and, and to them, to them, 
They don't care about the diabetes community. They care about connections. They don't care that there's this thing in place. Like, like for instance, I like that when I go to my faucet, water comes out of it. But I don't care about I don't care about the water company in my local municipality, right? I don't I know it's there, and I know there are wonderful people there doing good work, and that's why I get the water. But I really don't care about it. I care that I I have mm-hmm. benefit of it, but that's the, as much as I think about it. Most people don't think about the diabetes community the way people who create content think about it. So what you, mm-hmm. what you all might not know when you're listening is that there are people writing blogs and, and doing other things. I know those people, most of them, and they know me. And sometimes we have private conversations. I had a really wonderful private conversation with Mike Hoskins from Diabetes Mind the other day where we talked about how to help people, right? Like, like right. And so – there's more going into it than you might think sometimes. Um, and, and if you're lucky, you're talking or listening or reading someone who really cares about you. I genuinely do. And there's no way for you to know that except to listen and decide for yourself. There are also people in this, there are also people in this community just trying to make money off of you and your diabetes. And you have to figure out who those people are as well. And and I can't, (laughs) I I can't tell you, uh, but you need to figure that out too. What I can tell, what I can tell you is this. Some people are trying to give you the benefit of their experience in a way that will make your life healthier, lighter, happier, more full of joy, more free time for yourself and your family. And there are some people who are trying to keep you scared and anxious and worried because that brings you back to click and read and come some more. I've always said, I hope you listen to this podcast forever. I hope I make it entertaining enough that you can keep listening to it. But if there's a moment where you get and you're like, my A1C is six and a half. I never think about diabetes and I don't really need this podcast anymore. Nothing would make me happier. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> Seriously. And don't feel bad about leaving because 17 more people are coming right behind you. People get diagnosed all the time. And yeah. so, but, but the point is, is that I am not going to do something for clickbait. I am never going to try to make a person feel scared or angry or anxious or put a worrisome thought in their head. I'm Mm -hmm. also not going to treat them like a baby. I'm not going to hide things from them. I'm not going to tell them what they want to hear. I'm also, I'm not, I'm not that person who's like, I speak the truth. You know, those people, sometimes those people are mean. You got to speak the truth when the truth is eligible to be accepted by somebody, right? Right. Like you, you don't run up to somebody on fire and start telling them about how, if they would have been more careful with matches, that yeah. wouldn't have happened. Right. Exactly. Right, right? Those, right. People, those people need water thrown on them. So some of you, some of you listening need the water thrown on you. And some of you need the safety talk about the matches. And I'm trying to put this podcast together in a way where it is entertaining lighthearted, and yet all of those things are happening for you. And it's my goal that they happen to you, for you, in a way that you almost don't know it's happening. And yeah. so to kind of bring it full circle, I mean, that's how I parent. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't grab my kids and sit them down and go, here's the lesson for today. I try to involve them in conversation, let them see things that move them in the direction that I'm hoping to direct them. I told somebody recently, and I may have said it here, I don't remember anymore. Somebody asked me, like, what's your job as a parent? Like, how do you see it? And I said, well, I think of my job as a parent as having to say the same thing a thousand times, but not be irritated by having to say it a thousand times and trying to find 500 different ways to say it. 
and yeah. trying to build it into conversations about other things and other people and other situations. I, I'd like to think that my son thinks about how to treat his sister through a conversation we've had about politics or that he's considered about how to vote in an election based on a conversation we've had about how to treat a sister. You, mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, like I, think it, I think it all builds together. I think that when you preach at people, it doesn't work. But I also think there are moments when you need to be told, shut up and swallow the pill. Right. And so that's what I'm trying to do here. And I don't know if I'm doing it or not, but that's my goal. Well, you know, I, I will be honest and say my first reaction to, to your podcast was um, like, this guy's got it all figured out and he's bragging and, and um, telling everybody that he's got it all figured out. And, the, and, and then I started really listening and realizing that you weren't just about that. You were saying, I've, I've got this figured out and I want to help other people figure it out. And I needed to be open to the fact that like, you know, maybe I needed to, to listen and do some things differently. And I think that that's my initial defensive you know, I, I'm the kind of person who, when my son was first diagnosed, they said, go to this parent support group at the hospital. And I went and there was a bunch of moms in the room all talking about what they do and how they do it. And I left thinking like, well, I'm not doing what those thing, what those moms and dads are doing. So I must be a total failure at this diabetes thing. And I never went back. And so it's, it's a weird like reaction I have to hearing other people's ways is that you can take the information and then decide for you whether it's helpful or not. Um, but you don't have to feel like you're always comparing yourself to them. And, and I think that's something over the last five and a half years that I've evolved into thinking about is like, it's not, there's no one way there's different ways and there's different things you can try and tweak and no one's perfect and no one's got it all figured out, but some people, you know, really might be able to help you with, with some little tip or some little piece of information. And so I'm always listening to, as well as writing and, and putting content out. Um, and you're right. Like there are people that are newly diagnosed every day and they know nothing. And so I might feel like I've said the same thing a million times through my writing or through the blog or through social media, but then it's like, no, somebody may have just joined for the first time. Um, and I think like, I, I write for T1 everyday magic. I don't know if you know that site, it's specifically for parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and they asked me to write a lot about the diagnosis experience. And, um, a couple times I wrote, you know, they, they'd give me a topic and it had to do with something around diagnosis. And then I turn it in and, and, um, at the, there was one article, I forget what the topic was, but at the end they said, can you end it with something that gives people, you know, some hope and some feeling like it's going to be okay. And I was like, I guess, like, I don't think I felt that way at the time of this story that you're asking me to write, but I can spin it that way. And it's like, that's what people do need at that time. So, um, you know, it's, it's all just, it's so interesting and it's so much, there's so much goes into it. (laughs) You just gave me so many different thoughts. So first of all, um, the first thing I thought was there is an incredibly popular diabetes blog that only talks about bad things. It seems like no matter what you do, it's something scary or something that went wrong or here. Yeah. And then, but don't worry, I'm persevering. And I'm like, okay, great. Like I get, that's a good message, right? Sometimes things go wrong and I'm persevering. But at some point, the person writing that blog realized this sells. And yeah. so everything <laughs> they do is, oh my God, can you believe this happened? But I'm not giving up. And I'm like, okay, yeah, great. And people don't not need to hear that, but that could be every once a month. It doesn't need to be every day or every time yeah. you post, right? 
Um, yeah, I've I, I've read blogs like that too, and I've been turned off because I'm like, I don't need to read about the terrible, bad, negative stuff all the time. Like, I get it that ha- bad stuff happens to us too, but maybe it's that I'm too much of the glass is half full. I don't know, but but you're right. Like those people get there are people that are making a lot of money in this business by speaking at conferences and being on every keynote, you know, every agenda of every conference and every patient event because of that. <laughs> and, and for those of you who reach out to me and say, I really want you to come to like my JDRF Type One Nation event. And I don't end up at the ones, all of them. You should mm-hmm. know that the ones I end up at are run by progressive thinking people. Because when I get on a phone with them privately, I'm not like, oh, I'm so thrilled that you want me to come talk. First of all, I'm irritated because I live in the Northeast. I've got to go, I got to, go to a horrible airport. And then I've got to park my car somewhere that when I walk away from it, I think, oh, that's probably not going to be there when I get back. And then, and then I get to fly somewhere. I'm missing time with my family. I don't want yeah. to go to this place, right? It's not some right. big ch- – I'm always amazed. Like, oh, my God, I, got, I hear people like, I got to go to Ohio today. Nothing against Ohio, but I, 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 mean, I mean, it's, it's just, it's an airport with, and then I go to a hotel. It's not a big deal, right? Like I love right. meeting the people. It's not exciting. I love meeting the people, but everything else about it is a horror. Okay. Mm-hmm. Except, except for that. And so I tell them if I'm going to come, I am going to explain to people how to use their insulin. I am not there to tell them a sad story. Yeah. I am not there to tell them a sad story that turns into a happy story. I'm not there to shake. I'm not a cheerleader. And I'm not, and I'm not going to whip them into supporting your, you know, your cause. I know you're trying to raise money, but if you let me come and discuss with them how insulin works so that they can have success sooner and get rid of anxiety and stress and fear, then I will tell them how great you are. Yeah. And, and, and some people say, well, we're not comfortable with that and I don't get to go to those places, but yeah. you're not, if, if I'm speaking where you are. You should know I'm saying exactly what I wanted to say when I got there because if I wasn't, I wouldn't have gone. Yeah. And and there are too many people who get stuck in the situation. You just got in. Like you wrote something you felt and someone's like, can you happy it up at the end there? You're like, you know. Yeah. How about – no, by the way, I've written for them a couple of times, but I don't like the way they pay. It's a very irritating to get your money. And so um, it wasn't <laughs> – when I got to the point where I thought I would rather not do this than get paid for this blog, I was like, well, I'm never doing this again. And so, yeah. so I stopped. But but point point is, you need you need to follow people who have your best interest at heart. And and my my for me it's simple. I spent two years thinking I was killing my daughter every five seconds and crying in the shower and just mortified about what our life was. And then I started finding little pieces that made sense. And slowly, and I've said it before, because of writing on the blog, I got to sit down and thoughtfully go through. I'm like, this seems important. I'll write about this. This seems important. I'll write about that. Yeah. One day I was able to step back and go, wow, if I put these things together, I kind of have a system here. And and then I just couldn't get past it. Didn't matter. Like you, eight and a half A1C. Couldn't. I was stuck. Like It wouldn't work. Realized it was my fear of insulin. Got past it. Wrote about it. And then, boom, it all started like downhill. I was like, I just started finding it and honing it and fine-tuning it and seeing the bigger picture and writing about it and sharing it. And if that sounds egotistical, try to understand that I'm trying to make this fun. Because yeah. if this... Oh, you do. Right, but, but, <laughs> but if this podcast was medicine and I was so careful about every word I said, you wouldn't have had that initial thought. But then again, you wouldn't have kept listening. Because yeah. there have been a lot of diabetes podcasts that have come and gone. And you have to ask yourself, why did they stop? Or right. why do people listen to this one 
in such greater multipliers than the others. And, and the reason is, is because because I found a way to make it fun at the same time. And the, the, the downside of that is, is periodically I say stuff that's stupid or that's overblown or sarcastic. And yeah. sometimes you don't hear the sarcasm when you're in a situation where you're like, buddy, I'm, 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 I'm here for life and death. You got to tell me how to get my kids A1C down right now. And now you're making funny? Like, like, and, that <laughs> sh- and that strikes people wrong sometimes. I'm thrilled that you came back. I, I really am. Like, cause I'm sure. Yeah, no, it's definitely. And I was going to say, like uh, when we do content at, um, on the blog at Omnipod is what I find through, you know, analytics is that, um, I also send out the email newsletter. So if anyone's an Omnipod customer and you're opted into email, you get like a monthly newsletter with all kinds of links to blogs and, and information. And definitely it's the helpful resources and the helpful tips and information that people click on the most. Like they don't need to read a sad story or hear a sad story. I feel like that's the stuff that's more for the general public's awareness of how serious type 1 diabetes is. Mm-hmm. But that's not the, the diabetes community, and that's not really going to help somebody in their everyday. Like you really do have to give them information that will help them. And so I think that's definitely what you're – like I said, I, I know it's not um, – you know, you're kind of rogue, and you're, this is what works for you, and you're sharing the information, but you're not a, you're not a doctor, and you're not a, a CDE, but at the same time, so much of this disease is managed on an everyday basis by people who don't have degrees. And and you do kind of have to lean on your, your peers to, to figure this stuff out on a daily basis. So Isn't it- I've learned that through listening to you. And, um, you know, I thank you for that. It's been really helpful. And we'll see in a couple months, what his A1C is. I, I, well, I very much appreciate that. And I'm, in, and I'm, I'm, I'm compelled to say, isn't it, isn't it fascinating that, that the word you considered was rogue. Like I've, I've done something <laughs> in a rogue way. And all I, all we're talking about here is using the right amount of insulin at the right time. Like, how is that rogue? Do, I know. Like, I know. Like, how is well, that's that the so part different from what people are taught, but it is. That's the rule follower part of me that had a hard time with that at first. Cause I was like, well, I don't understand how this can be right because this is not what I'm hearing in other areas, you know? And I don't know if it's, I don't know. I don't know if it's the system or if it's the education or if it's keeping up with the times and, you know, the technology is advancing faster than the, the medicine, medical community. I, I'm not sure, but it, it, you know, I do have the Dexcom. I have all these tools that you have. Why not, why not use them in a different way? And I have to tell you too, I appreciate that. And, and you know, when you hear me say, or when anyone hears me say, like, I'll say like, Oh, my daughter's A1C has been between five, two and six, two for over five years. Solid. No, no food restrictions. Yeah. Imagine if I didn't say that. Imagine, right. if, imagine if I said, hey, I have this way of thinking about insulin that's completely different than what your doctors told you. I won't tell you my results with it. Right. Or when you say no diet restrictions, like I would assume if you didn't say that, I would say, oh, they must be you know, on a keto diet because there's plenty of people that are out there pushing that agenda. Right. You know, it and, must and, be that she never eats carbs. Right. Exactly. And, when that, and that is, I hear that from people all the time. I, I saw you online and I thought, oh, yeah, sure. This guy's done eating carbs. And then yeah. I realized you were, and I was like, oh, let me find out more. And so it's important for me to say, this is the A1C range. There's no diet restrictions, and Arden doesn't have protracted or frequent lows. Like, that's that's the important part. Yeah. Having to say it over and over again in different ways is where sometimes you might hear me, and I might just say, I might say it like it's a throwaway, or like I'm bragging, or you might hear it that way. And what I'll tell you mostly is that when people are struggling when they hear about people being successful, 
it turns them off immediately. Exactly. That's how my, I, I definitely agree. That's how my reaction was, yeah. is that I was feeling frustrated in my own kind of failure and I was, didn't want to hear about someone else's success. And so what I was going to say to you, but luckily you said it anyway, is if I may, you weren't mad at me, you were mad at yourself. Projecting. I was projecting. So if I have to be that for some people, I'm okay with that. Do do you know what I mean? Like, I don't mind. Like, I didn't get to actually feel the moment when you were in your house going, this guy's a jerk. I'm not listening to this. And so I didn't hear that, (laughs) you you know? And so, but, but if I have to be that for some people, that's fine with me. If you, but what I want you to think of what I, what I hope people think, and I try to repeat enough without making it, you know, too repetitive is that when you hear about somebody doing, let's just say better than you with their diabetes, you should see that as hopeful, not as something to be angry about. Like if, if I can do it, you can do it. Exactly. And I think that's what you do. Like when you, when you tell me like what she has in her lunch, I can't tell you how helpful that is because I'm like, oh, I can't get, you know, my kid isn't going to sit there and eat cauliflower crust and protein shakes. I've tried it all. I've tried all of the like less carbs, higher protein. He is who he is. He's, I look at it like he's a total carb king. and. The fact that you don't have any diet restrictions and you list off all the things kids love to eat in her lunch and it's still okay, that gives me a lot of hope. And let me just say this, Amy, if you do want cauliflower crust pizza and you go to realgoodfoods.com, that's realgoodfoods.com and use the offer code JUICEBOX, you'll save 20% on your entire order and there's free shipping. I love cauliflower crust pizza. I just wish he did. (laughs) So I will definitely. I'm both joking and trying to keep my advertisers happy at the same time. and so. I appreciate that because I hear that from so many people that just, and by the way, that was by mistake. That's a, a function of um, laziness. I, I The first time I did Arden's bolus while I was recording the podcast, I was just like, I'm just going to leave that in because I don't feel like editing it out. And then as I went back and did the edit, I thought, oh, this is kind of interesting. I'll leave it in. But I, yeah. I, I, I wasn't a mastermind. I didn't say to myself, oh, people are going to love to hear this, but it is one of the most like commented upon things in private messages. I love hearing you do Arden's bolus. Well, I remember when you, you did it on the interview with Brett, uh, Christian Christensen from Omnipod. And I remember he was asking you about it. He was like, now what are you doing right now? Are you texting her? Are you looking at it on a screen? You know? And I thought that was really great. It's a different way of doing things that listen, we're all in the same situation. We all get diagnosed by a doctor who tells us to count our carbs, push the button eat the food, push the plunger down, eat the food, wait three hours, test, correct, do it again. Keep doing that till you drop dead. Like that's pretty much what they tell you. And then, and then if your A1C is nine, they'll say, well, what are you doing wrong? And you're like doing wrong. I did exactly what you told me to do. You you, you know, like uh, how, what's your diet like? And then, then you start feeling bad. I spoke to a, a, a young girl last night through a messaging And she was thanking me for the podcast. She said she felt like a, quote, bad diabetic because she's a, 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 she, she's not a, she's a bigger girl. She, she described herself as a bigger girl. And she said, because of her diet, she needed more insulin. But when she dialed up the insulin, if she got to too much, she felt bad about it. So she was eating the food, but not correcting with the insulin because the amount of insulin made her feel bad about her weight. And so now not only was she eating poorly, 
but she wasn't using enough insulin and causing herself a different problem. She said she found the podcast, threw away that idea. Her A1C is already coming down. She's got her blood sugar stable. She's starting to exercise, think differently about her, her diet and everything. And that's from someone speaking to her honestly about this instead of trying to make yeah. her feel good about it or tell her it's okay or don't worry. And by the way, don't worry, but don't do the same thing over and over again that's causing a bad outcome and then not worry about it. That's, right. called, that's called ignoring it. And I don't worry. Arden's blood sugar has gotten upside down a couple of times this week. I didn't spend all day upset at myself. I was like, all right, I did this and that happened. So next time, let me do this and let's see what happens. It took me a couple of days and now I figured it out. I mean, how long has it been since we bolus now? A long time. It's maybe 25 minutes, 35 minutes since she bolused. She's been eating for a while. Her blood sugar's 71 still. So this insulin's now, yeah. it's now active. We have a perfect balance between that insulin and her food. And so we're going to ride this, I bet you, for the whole afternoon. She's going to come home from school two hours from now, um, two and a half hours from now. And I don't think her, I don't think her blood sugar is ever getting over 80. You know, it'll probably be right around 80. That's amazing. Like right in there. Yeah. With a big, a big ass bagel. I still struggle with the like, does he need more you know, a different carb ratio at lunch than he does at dinner. And is the, you know, are the basils, I just feel like his days are so unpredictable, but it is, it's, it's all, it's just so hard to think of all the variables and all the things. So I understand that today is not going, going so well so far, but, uh, we'll get a handle on it. He did, he did text me back and say, I can't, you know, I have seven and a half units on board. So we're in a little bit of a waiting pattern right now, but I think that's the hardest part for me is being, being in this, in this role and talking about diabetes all day long at work and managing it at home. And like when he's not with me and I can't do anything about it in the moment, it's so hard to not be able to just fix it. (laughs) It really hurts. And you're in a different situation too, because you've just, obviously you're, you're remarried and you have a, you know, you have an ex-husband who's obviously involved with Miles, and and so there's now three yeah. three people trying to make a decision. And I think there's a story about like too many cooks and why the how the cake doesn't work out. But um, you know, like yeah, in, in, <laughs> you're in a different situation, and so you do your best with it. Now, can we before I let you go? Can we talk nuts and bolts about this high blood sugar right now for a second? Uh, that Miles is having. Um, sure. Yeah. Okay. So. So you said he was, I mean, you, I think you said 360 earlier and that was probably 45 minutes ago. Is he still there? Um, yeah. So I'm looking at it, it right now. It's updating. He's at 375, um, straight across. And he said he had seven and a half units on board around what's it, when he at 1109. So it's been 40 minutes since then. Um, so what's your expectation? And yeah, I did. I asked him to increase basil seventy five percent for the next two hours, around ten. So he he has a hard. His mornings are tough because he goes to middle school. He has breakfast before he leaves the house around six thirty. Then they have snack at nine o'clock, and then they have lunch at ten forty five. So he has like three meals or three opportunities to eat in a very short period of time, and it always messes us up. So Amy, you. You just thought about those food options, those opportunities, mm-hmm. completely backwards from how I would have thought about them. So because he's leaving the house at 6.30, but he's going to get food again, what time? At 9? Yeah. Yeah. That That's an opportunity for you to be super aggressive with the breakfast because he's going to have food to catch it if you go wrong. And then again, okay. And then again, you can stay 
foot on the pedal at the snack because lunch is coming an hour and a half later. Like you have so many opportunities to address insulin. So instead of thinking about how the insulin affects his blood sugar or how the insulin affects the carbs, flip it around and think about how you can affect the insulin with the carbs. Like, so instead of the insulin pulling his blood sugar down, how could you be as aggressive as possible with the insulin with the safety net of more carbs coming in two hours and again, an hour and a half? Yeah, that's true. So you could, and so if you have a heavy enough, I know it's tough in the morning and you're talking about, he, he it's tough for him to pre-bolus in the morning. It's tough for anybody to pre-bolus at 630 in the morning. Like, let's be honest. Right. Um, but so mm-hmm. if you if you're super aggressive with his 630 and just spread the insulin out a little bit, you know, maybe a broken like an extended bolus or something like that. Uh, and and then so really keep your foot on the neck of the blood sugar, like don't let it up. And then mm-hmm. that that insulin's going to come together in 3 hours, two and a half hours, you're going to have food though. So say say he's 80 two and a half hours later, who cares? He's about to have a snack. And so now you can, and now when you bolus that snack without much of a pre-bolus, it probably doesn't matter because you still have active insulin going from the, from the breakfast to some degree. So do you see what I'm saying? Like you're, yeah. you're always, he's kind, always, I kind eating, of, right. He's, he's always eating ahead of when a low is going to come. Right. And so, so you don't have to worry as much. Of, so you would just do more insulin. Like would you double his breakfast and spread it out over the 90 minutes until he has snack and then do the same thing at snack? So first of all, the answer is almost always more insulin. Right. <laughs> what I, I mean, I don't know like the exact like thought of it, but if you can tell me like, so how many carbs does he have in the morning at, and what time does he eat them? So this morning he had 20. Mm-hmm. Um, and we pre bolus uh, probably 15 minutes and he was at I'm looking at it right now he was at uh like 140 when he woke up okay and so he had his even with a pre-bolus and tw- of 20 carbs he went up to about 200 by 7:30 so an hour later then um it dropped pretty dr- dramatically but not not well not dramatically it dropped from 200 to 150 again um, by eight o'clock. But then he went up again. You know, he started rising pretty dramatically, even without more food. Um, And then by nine o'clock, when he had his other snack, he was 260. And this is the part where I cannot wait for Omnipod um, for the, for the apps to come out because I can't see if he, I can't confirm he actually bolus for his nine o'clock snack. Cause that's been a struggle sometimes with him is that he just doesn't, but without knowing whether he had insulin or not, he's, you know, he's almost at 400 by 1130. Um, and he does eat lunch at 1040. So, and he gets a pre bolus of 30 minutes before lunch, but when he's already 300 going into that pre bolus, it's like, you know, he just keeps, he's just gone up, 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 up all morning. So. Okay. So uh, w- what I would say is you said at one point in that breakfast, you said he, he went down, but how far did he go down? Um, so an hour after he had the breakfast, he went from 200 to 150. Oh, so, but he's. St- and then right back up again. <laughs> yeah. So, so a little bit of it is changing how you think about it. 150 isn't down. It's still high. 150 is right. 70 points higher than 80. Right. It just, I, what I meant is he's been on this upward track all day, but there was one instance where he blipped down a little bit, but then kept going up. So that's, that, that, that 
dropped down to 150s, at some point that insulin peaked and it overwhelmed the food for a second. But after the peak was gone, the food was still there and brought him back up again. So you needed more insulin spread out a little more over like maybe 90 minutes. Okay. And so if he ends up at 260 later, I mean, how much insulin did you use for the 20 carbs? Do you remember? Um, I think he's at like an eight to one ratio. So probably two and a half units. So I would suggest to you to ignore whatever his ratio is and just think about it in terms of how much insulin do I need? So what really would have worked here? So it doesn't matter if you use, you know, it doesn't matter. Say you use two and a half units mm-hmm. and let's say that that snack didn't exist at nine o'clock. And so at nine 30, he's two sixty. How much would it have taken to correct it 260 back to 100? Um, what is that, 160, you know? So you're doing the math. But how three, much, three units probably, yeah, so how, at least. How much do you think it would take? Forget what the math says. <laughs> That's just how I think about it. Yeah, yeah, but 260 back to 100. If I just said to you right now, you can't, there's no bolus calculator. You're on your own, Amy. How much insulin is going to get back to 100 <laughs> right now? Ooh, probably four units. Okay. So probably that meal that you gave him with like two and a half units was probably more like five and a half units. Okay. Right. And so you could have taken those five units and spread them out. You could have put, I don't know. Uh, it sounds like he didn't go up for the first hour. So maybe you could have put like 30 or 40% in at the beginning and the balance over an hour. And that would have stretched it out the, you know, then you would have had some peaking, you know, in that hour range, you would have had some peaking in an hour and a half range. There would have been some in the beginning, more over time. Like, I don't know the exact answer, but what I'm saying to you is, is you have to figure out how much insulin and where it needs to be on the timeline of that food. Do you typically extend very frequently? Like, cause when I, when I learned about extended bolus originally, it was always like, I only used it for the heavy fat, long, long digestion foods. But what I think I'm hearing you say is that you can use an extended bolus only over 30 minutes or 60 minutes and have it help, but give more insulin as a total bolus. Right. Yeah. So like, like in some people, like people on injections will tell you, sometimes I inject some now and some in a half an hour. So it's Mm -hmm. sort of the same idea, you know, 35%, you know, 40% up front, the rest over an hour, the first first 40% goes in when you push the button. And then incrementally, this other 60% is being jammed in over the hour, over a half an hour. You you know, I know that most people think of extended boluses as how to spread insulin out over four hours for pizza or something like that. But you can manipulate the insulin with the extended bolus. You can manipulate it with a temp basal. You could, if you were scared that five and a half units was too much, what's his basal rate? If you told me how much he weighs, I might be able to guess it. How much does he weigh? You know what I know is basal rate, but I don't know how much he weighs. He probably weighs one ten. So is his basal rate like one point one? It's like point nine. Yeah, it's probably a little low too, by the way. Really? Uh, okay. Right. So, so you know, if so, you could have doubled his basal to make a unit and done yeah. and done four and a half in a bolus. So say four and a half in a bolus and a double basal for an hour, and that way, if that's too much insulin at any point, you can just cancel the temp basal. Yeah. And like and get some of it back again. It's all about manipulating the insulin to be where you want it to be. It's funny because when you said that about the 50% up front and over an hour, that's what we did yesterday. Um, and it's what my husband did. I wasn't home. And he texted me later and he's like, I, I figured it out. This is what we need to do for when he has those French toast 
things. He has those French toast sticks that's like oh, yeah, disgusting. Those, or maybe, those are like poison. I know what you mean. Pa- yeah. Pancake wrapped around a sausage. Mm-hmm. He's like, it's 50% up front over an hour. Good for him. And he's like, and it worked. And I was like, great. Yeah. No, high, <laughs> no high later, no two or three hours later? No, yesterday he had a great day. Beautiful. So. Okay. Interesting. So just, <laughs> just think about it that way, about how to put the insulin where, where it's needed. Stop so, so stop thinking about what the pump says, because all the pump says is the arbitrary numbers that your doctor put into the pump. Right. When the doctor did that, they weren't thinking that you were going to find a way to wrap a sausage in a pancake. <laughs> like, right? like they were just, they're just like that. But I do think, again, like I said to you before, um, and it all comes back to it, you got to figure out if his basil's right first. And yeah. Because if he's 0.9 and he should be 1.2, so that's every hour he's not getting a third of a unit of insulin that he needs. Right. And then that happens all morning long, like while he's sleeping, he gets up and then you give him two and a half units for something that by the way, probably was more like five units. And one of the units is only going to replace the basil over the next hour. Yeah. So you're, right. you're no. deficient in, you have a deficit of insulin at that point. Yeah. That's it. No, I mean, that's, that's really good. I've been trying to figure out the basils for, you know, days. And then it's, of course, the like, do you give it three days and wait and see? Or do you Please. attack it every day? I, I know that's <laughs> what people say. I, I'm, I'm more of a three-hour kind of girl. Like, I, yeah. I, I put it in, and if it's not working, more. If it, it works too it. much, less. Because yeah. you, you have access to the Dexcom right away. So, like, use a, a pretend. Do you have time? We've, we're going on forever. Do you have to go? <laughs> um. No, I think I have a little bit more time. Right. So well, so think about this, about adjusting basils, right? Say your basil set at a, at a unit. Say it's set at five units. I don't care where it's set. And you're, if your blood sugar is not resting at 90 without food or insulin, then your basil is not high enough. And so, right. you know, well, okay, Scott, well, my basil's resting at one, my, my blood sugar rests at 180. How much more? I don't know how much more, but definitely more. So say, right. say you're at one and you you rest at 180. I would push it 20 or 30% and see what happens. It's not like, it's not like you're going to put your basil up 30% for an hour and he's going to be dead 90 minutes from now. Like you're just going to see his blood sugar coming down. And so maybe it only comes down to, I don't know, 150 and then it sits at 150. Well then try a little more and just keep trying a little more till you get where you want to be. And now you're down to where you want to be and maybe you'll end up getting too low. So bump it back the other way a little bit. Just, you know, mess with it until it's, making sense. And now when you're close, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect, but when you're close, now you can start making adjustments. I think the hard thing is like, it's that resting with no food. Like he just is so rare that there's no food in his system and no exercise and no anything. You know what I mean? So I look at nighttime a lot as like, like last night he, you know, he slowly rose up after being at like hundred, he ended up at like 180 and so I'm like okay so clearly the basil I always think of nighttime as like it's definitely basil because nothing else is happening but it is and and then I wonder if like is the basil the same across all 24 hours no it's not the same over every hour yeah it's so that's really hard to figure out it's like well does he need more in the morning or less sir but but there but here's why it's here's why it's not because more because if you're not if you're not 90 more if you're 180 overnight more if you're 180 overnight you're right there's less happening overnight although there's still body functions and growth and stuff but you're right more happens during the day his eyes are open he sees things they make him anxious they make him excited they make him angry he eats food so if you if you needed more overnight you probably definitely need more during the day 
right? Right. And then, yeah. and so just more. So I'd get him down, you know, I'd get him down from this high, get him home from school, and I'd do a temp basal increase of, I don't know, 20 or 30, 20%, 30% for four hours and see what happens. And you, because what you're going to Once do he is, comes down, you yeah, mean, well, once he's back. Yeah, right now I'd have his basal doubled till I could get him back. Yeah. Right. Um, because you're fighting with a high blood sugar and food that wasn't counted, wasn't covered correctly with insulin right now. And when you look at that insulin on board, when you have a 270 blood sugar and you're, was it 270? Was it 370? I forget now. It was 370. Okay, so you look at the 370 blood sugar and you're like, I have seven units on board. I'm going to tell you if that was me, I wouldn't consider those, those units at all because if they were doing something, they would have done it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I think it's more. So like, what would you do? Add a couple more units, like keep bumping it. Uh, I mean, in addition to the basil, it's tough being because doubled. he's at school, right? But I mean, I would, I would bolus and get it down and catch it with juice later if I had to. But but sitting and staring at it's not going to help you. Like, right. and, and, and the other thing is too, your insulin action time is where that insulin on board number comes from. So do you even, right. do you even right. know what the insulin action time is set for? I do. I, I believe it's two and a half hours. That's where I like to keep it. Okay. Um, hold on a second. Because I, I think originally when we got the dash, it was defaulted to three hours and I changed it. Right. So the point is, is that you, if you tell it two and a half hours, three hours, four hours, whatever you tell it, that's affecting what it's telling you the insulin on board is. And you're thinking, right. oh, that's definitely in there, that amount. Well, if you went into his pump right now and changed his insulin on, you know, his action time lower or higher, it would all of a sudden tell you he has less insulin on board because it does a different right. calculation. It says, oh, well, we must have used it up because she told me it was only going to take two hours for it to use up. Or, right. you know, it, you know, she told me four. But how do you know what that right amount is? Because if Is it was, it the same for everybody? If it, no, but if it was right, his blood sugar wouldn't be 370. So, so you'll figure out what his insulin action time is. By when you one day get his blood sugar to not go up while he's eating, and it does At this point in the recording, I suffered a massive computer failure. So this is the end. Had to end sometime. It's almost two hours long. The last thing I was going to say was that when she gets the insulin right, she'll one day get his blood sugar to not go up while he's eating and not to get low later. All right, people, if you made it this far, hour and 45 minutes of this show, you're a huge fan of the Juice Box Podcast, and for that, I am eternally grateful. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Omnipod, Dexcom, and Dancing for Diabetes for sponsoring the show. You guys rock. Go to myomnipod.com forward slash juice box to get started today. You get a free, no obligation demo of the Omnipod to try for yourself. And at Dexcom.com forward slash juice box, you can find out how to get started with the Dexcom G6 continuous glucose monitor. And let's be honest, if you're listening to this podcast and you don't have a Dexcom, I mean, let's go, right? Here we go. Get on it. All right, the music's going to stop in a second. You're going to go to dancingfordiabetes.com. That's dancing, the number four, diabetes.com. Then you're going to like them on Facebook and Instagram. I mean, you know, please. Saw all of your new reviews and ratings on iTunes recently. Thank you very much. And I would like you to know that the show is now available on Radio.com. They have their own app, Radio.com. If you're using the Radio.com app and you want to listen to the podcast there, you absolutely can. But if what you're doing is working, don't feel any pressure to switch. I'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>